Can Be New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. It's good to see you. It's good to be, it's good to be upright. Yeah, and I appreciate everybody who uh, prayed for me. I recently had knee surgery, and uh, it actually felt like I was going in for my 50,000-mile checkup. You know, they... Uh, uh, poked holes in my knee and did stuff and all that kind of stuff, and I uh, went away uh, walking a little more. And so uh, it feels good. It's good to, to be here. It's good to see you. I want to thank all of you for your prayers, and many of you have written uh, emails, some cards. You've caught me and said you were praying for me during this service and the services before, and so I want to tell you thank you. I really do appreciate that very, very much. Again, like we've been talking about, there's so many things going on. I'm looking forward, really, guys, looking forward to our men's retreat. Dr. Robert Flores is going to be there, and we're going to, we're going to have a great time. So if you haven't signed up, we want to encourage you to be there. It's a great place to begin relationships, continue those relationships, and even develop accountability groups and partners in that, in that time. We, we hear so many people, so many men, talk about the advantages of going to our men's retreat. So guys, uh, get a chance, uh, sign up. Come on out if you haven't done that. Hey, listen, what I want to do right now is we're calling our series Return to Your First Love. It's a study from the Gospel of John. And I want to do this together. I want us to open our Bibles to John chapter 2. I want you to open your Bibles to John chapter 2 with me. And that's verses 1 through 11. And as you do, uh, I want to tell you a story out of Francis Chan's book, Crazy Love. Uh, right now, our ladies are going through this book together on Tuesday mornings and Wednesday evenings. We have a lot of small groups that are using Crazy Love as their guide. Uh, my daughter and I are meeting on Friday morning, and we're studying Crazy Love as well. The reason we're doing that is because this book really captures for us the theme, the theme that we're in right now. It, it, it's about first love relationships, and, and this is about the first love relationship we have with Jesus Christ, and this is a great book that helps us do that. And the place in the book that I'm thinking about is labeled, Are You Ready?, Francis Chan tells the story of Stan Gerlock, a successful businessman who was well-known in the community. Stan was at a funeral, a memorial service. He was giving a, a eulogy when he decided to share the gospel. And when he shared the gospel, he told the mourners there, you'll never know when God is going to take your life. At that moment, there's nothing that you can do about it. <clears throat> and then he asked the question, are you ready? Then Stan sat down. He fell over. And he died. One moment Stan was saying, this is who Jesus is. The next, Jesus was saying to God, this is who Stan Gerlock is. There's a few reasons I share that story with you this morning. One is because it really does typify for me just the strength of a first love relationship. The other is, Stan Gerlock's family and my family grew up together in Simi Valley, California. My parents were instrumental in his Christian faith. And so to hear how God works, how God connects people, how God influences others with that passion to love Jesus Christ with everything that's in you. And that's what we want to encourage as we study the gospel of John. Again, John is the gospel writer that really leads us into that kind of relationship, loving Jesus with everything that's in us. In John chapter 2, we read about Jesus and his first miracle in public ministry. And the setting for the miracle is at the wedding of Cana. 
this was a, a community not far from where Jesus grew up. And I want to say a few things about this. It's interesting to me that this is the place that Jesus chose to have the first miracle performed, at least publicly. And I think there are probably a lot of reasons why. But one reason when I look at this has to do with it being a wedding. It has to do with the tradition throughout centuries, all, all, all through time, and all through other cultures that weddings are what people go to to celebrate. It's the thing that really is, is standing firm and very consistent in almost every culture throughout time. And I think the reason is, is it because it's one of those things that celebrates relationship. And I think Jesus was sending a message to us all when this was the place he chose to do his first miracle. He was saying to all of us, I want you to know that you're my bridegroom and I'm coming for you and I want to have a first love relationship with you. I want you to love me as I love you. It's amazing. In fact, the wedding is probably the wedding of a relative. Some historians and scholars believe that it's John's wedding, the author of this gospel. It's also possible that Mary, the mother of Jesus, is one of the wedding coordinators. And you see that here because she's telling people kind of what to do. That's what wedding coordinators do. You know, as you read through these 11 verses, you get the feeling that this is a family time. It's a precious time. That this was a happy time that went on for several days. And it could have ended on a sour note. But then Jesus steps in. I want you to hear what it says beginning at verse 1. And as we go into verse 1, I want you to keep a few things in mind. I want you to recognize that when John is talking about Mary, he never gives her name. He always refers to her as the mother of Jesus. There's something else that's remarkable about John. He set apart from the other gospel writers because he gives so much detail about time and places and events and because he gave that kind of detail, scholars and historians can kind of follow him through the seasons, the seasons of life in, in the ministry of Jesus. It's believed by most scholars that this wedding took place somewhere in February, March of AD 27. It's because of John's detail we know some of these things. It says this in verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place at Canaan, Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the wedding. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me, Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone jars, the kind used by Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And so they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. And then he called the bridegroom aside and he said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the very best for now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. You read this story, and if you've read it before, at first glance, we see Jesus turning water into wine. And that's what this story appears to be about. 
It appears to be, out, be, be about running out of wine, and that's an incredible disgrace for the family, especially during this time and in this culture. But more than that, there are principles here that deal with the whole idea of change. Like I said earlier, there are a lot of things that we can learn from a story like this. And certainly the one that we want to focus on today has to do with change and what a miracle change really is, especially when it happens to me, when it happens to the circumstances in my life. And the reason it's such a miracle is because change is something that I know that I need, but I usually don't really want it. I don't really run to embrace it. And I think most of us in this room, if we were honest, we would say the same thing. If we say that we really want change, it's probably change that we would appreciate, change that we would initiate. But typically when God does change, it's a mixed bag sometimes because there's things that you want, but then you look at certain things that he's asking from you, and it has to do with the adjustment and transformation of your character, and you say, wait, 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 wait a minute, I didn't sign up for that. I didn't know that when I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior that this was part of the package. Well, if you didn't know what I'm telling you now, it is part of the package. Change is what Jesus is all about in our lives. He's all about transformation. He's all about taking the old and making a new creation. That's what he does, and that's what he does well. And the reason I think this is such a miracle is because change is something all of us need and we don't always embrace. This is why I think there are only a few circumstances that help bring change in my life. I want to tell you what I think one of those circumstances are. The clue is found in verse 3. Look at verse 3 and notice that little phrase there. It says, they ran out. Depending on your translation, your Bible translation, it may say something a little different, but that's really what it's saying. They, they didn't have any more. The thing that they needed the most at that time was gone. And it's not as if running out was bad enough. It's the shame and even public disgrace that follows those who run out. Let me ask you this. Have you ever felt that way before? Maybe you feel that way right now, that you need a miracle. You need something to change, and you need something to change quickly in your life. You need the miracle of change. You really do. Because for us, the only thing that we may be feeling right now is we're full of despair. We're full of anxiety. We're full of fear. We're full of confusion. But Jesus wants to take that away. He wants to change that. He wants the miracle of change to take place in your life. It's when we come to this place of running out that we are desperate for answers. And we lurch around like a blind man and trying to find answers for life. And we're looking for answers because we want them. We try to hold on to answers to keep ourselves up. But it's not always answers that God wants to give you. Answers are things that we want. When my oldest son was about eight years old, he was having a conversation about life with his mom. And he said, Mom, what college do you want me to go to? Do you want me to go to Life Bible College or do you want me to go to George Fox? And she said, I want you to go to whatever school God wants you to go to. He wasn't satisfied, so he asked it again. He said, but Mom, which one do you want me to go to? Life Bible College or George Fox? And she answered the same. She said, I want you to go to the college that God wants you to go to. 
He was getting pretty frustrated and he asked it one more time and she gave the same answer. I want you to go to the college God wants you to go to. And then he responded. He took a different angle and he said, well then, if you were God, which college do you want me to go to? What he was trying to grab for was answers. And we're, we're not too much different than that. You're in a situation right now. You're probably in a place right now in life that you're looking for answers and you want something to hang your hat on. While answers are important, this may not be what we really need. It may not be what God wants to do to bring change about in your life. Answers sometimes are temporary. They're just for the moment. Things that we think we need to get for ourselves and in in order for us to just have it better, to, to have the relief at that moment, at that particular time. Because what God wants for you are things that are lasting. What God wants for you are things that may only come by seeking and waiting. Probably the most difficult thing to do in our Christian journey is to wait. It's to seek God and to wait. And there's tension there because it seems like life keeps passing us by and that all we need is just an answer, just one answer, and everything's going to be okay. And God keeps telling you, just seek me. Just wait on me. Because it's in that process that good things are going to happen. One of my most favorite scriptures used to be, from glory to glory, he's changing me. Until I found out something. The emphasis that is in that scripture, is placed on two words. It's placed on from and to. It's not the glory part. I want the glory part. That's where I want to live. That's exciting. But where we live most of the time is the from and the to. Because that's the process. Most of the time, most of my energy, most of my struggles are all about getting there. It's about the process. And if you haven't noticed, that's true about the life of Jesus. If you think about the life of Jesus and his public ministry, those miracles that took place, those things that he did to heal people and walking on water, people being raised from the dead, guess where and when those things happened? It happened while he was on the way somewhere. And he was on the way to Jericho. He was passing through here. He was going there. He called his disciples while he was on the way. Remarkable example for us to realize and learn that our life is really about being on the way. It's in the process. That's where things happen. That's where life is forged out. That if I let God have my moments, if I let him have my days, if I let him have my years, then the product is glory. The product of my life becomes a a, a remarkable thing that glorifies God. So that if most of the time is spent in the process, I need a miracle of change in my life. So where do I go when I've run out? Where do I go when I've run out of the things that I need? What can I do when I know I need the miracle of change? Let me give you just a few things. You can write them down if you'd like. But first of all, it's this. The first thing to do is to make sure that you invite Jesus into your emptiness. interesting to me as hard as this is to believe and as weird as this sounds Jesus loves empty people I think there are a few reasons why he loves empty people because empty people need their nothing turned into something 
And Jesus is the only one that can do that for you. He is absolutely the only one because he's the creator. And if I would invite him into my old wretched life with my old wretched ways, then he can make all things new. That's what he does. That he can take an ordinary empty clay vessel and he can turn it into something full of hope. He can turn it into something full of glory, something full of love again. And I use the word again because we need that to happen over and over in our lives. We need to be refreshed by God's presence. We need to experience this. And if you're empty, let God fill you because he can do that. Secondly, there is no one else whose presence in my life demands or requires me to change like Jesus does. It's only because of his majesty. It's his authority. It's his holiness. It's his love that I can change. Absent of his presence, all my attempts to change are no more than just superficial adjustments. Have you tried that on your own? It really doesn't work. But we try it and we keep trying it and we say to ourselves, well, if only I can make this adjustment or that adjustment, everything will be okay. And, and by the time you're doing that and by the time you're done, it's worse. And the reason is, is because Jesus wants to change you from the inside out. He wants to bring authentic change to your life, not superficial change. He wants to bring real change. I need that in my life. It's his majesty. It's his love. Everything that makes my Lord who he is is what makes me who I need to be. Not only is it necessary for me to invite the presence of Jesus in my life, I also need to remain focused on the purposes of God for my life. Look at what verse 4 says. In verse 4 of this passage, Mary, the mother of Jesus, wants Jesus to reveal himself totally as the Son of God, as the Savior of the world. I mean, she says something. She says, hey, do whatever he tells you to do. Sounds like a mom, doesn't it? Could you see her pointing her finger saying, hey, do what he tells you to do. And everything will be fine. Just do it. Jesus responds by saying, well, it's not my time yet. It really is not my time. And when living out the purposes of God in our lives, there are a few elements to keep in mind, a few things to remain focused on. And the first is this, what is God telling me to do? You have to have a listening ear. You have to seek him. You have to, you have to be persistent in waiting. And I think for most of us, this isn't the most difficult part because it has more to do with a person's gifting and their talent and their personality. I think where the struggle comes in is where do I start? It's always the first steps of serving Jesus Christ because we're wondering, well, is this really going to matter? Is this really going to make a difference? And let me say this to you. Yes, absolutely. If you're right there on that threshold of stepping over and really serving the Lord and you're asking yourself, well, he's asking me to do this, but is it really going to make a difference? It will make a difference. Start with the little things. That's where it all happens. We'll, we'll argue with God when it comes to this point. We'll usually say, well, God, this isn't something big. This isn't really going to make a difference. But you need to remember the principle. When you're good and, and a good steward of the little things, he'll give you more. That's his promise. He says that he will do that for us. The way to do great things for Christ is to keep doing the little things. And secondly, 
And probably the most difficult is when to fulfill God's purpose in my life. This is about timing. It's about listening. It's about hearing God. It's about maturity. And timing is really everything in the Bible when you think about it. The story of Abraham being told by God, Abraham, you're going to have a son and, and your son's offspring will be as many as the stars in the sky and the sands in the sea. He, he got impatient, and most of us probably would have. And he had another son. His son was Ishmael, his other son. But it wasn't the son God had in mind. Timing is everything. And so it's when do we do the purposes of God? When do we engage in that? Sometimes what I do is about me. But when I do, it has to do with God's kingdom. It's about others more than it's about me. And the last thing to know about the miracle of change has to do with trusting Jesus through the process of change. That's verse 5. Simply do what he tells you to do. The temptation here is to jump ship when things get tough. When it looks like all resources are totally exhausted after doing everything to stand, stand fast. And there's a reason to do that because real trust doesn't occur until we've committed the full weight of our hopes, of our dreams, and our expectations into his hands. Annette and I watched a documentary about a year ago. It was titled Man on a Wire. It was about the French tightrope walker named Philippe Petit. What he decided to do was illegal, but he wanted to do it anyways. He wanted to string a wire across the Twin Towers and walk across it. Twin Towers are about 1,368 feet above the ground. This is quite a feat, and of course, it was, a, it was an overt operation. But he practiced for this. He practiced his whole life, he said, for this. And he got to the place where it was time. I believe it was the summer of 1974. And he steps out on this wire. He spent 45 minutes on a wire that was suspended almost 1,400 feet high. He didn't just walk across the wire. He danced on the wire. He juggled on the wire. He laid down on the wire. He ran on the wire. Man, I'm five feet up and I get nauseous. And this guy's doing it from a long way. I mean, he's up. He's high. But he had trusted in some things. He, he trusted in, the, in his experience, in his practice, and the other things that he did. He trusted in the equipment. Sometimes it feels like we're walking across a tightrope in life. But you can be sure of this. When you walk across that, you can put your trust in Jesus. And when you do, you'll have blessed outcomes, fruitful outcomes, because that's the promise God gives us. There's a reason why God puts such a priority on change in my life. It's because the most powerful testimony God's people have is not our abilities, it's not our talent. It's not our preaching or teaching or singing. Our greatest testimony is our changed lives. Never, ever forget that. And the reason I say that to you today is because when I hear people talk about you, they're not talking about a message. They're not talking. They don't remember things like that. They're not talking about the songs. They're not talking about any of that. What I hear mostly is a testimony of a changed life. That's amazing. 
And it's only through the power of God's Holy Spirit in your life and you continue to invite him to change you that other people will be changed. Do you, do you, see, you see the math here? Keep letting him change you. And as, as, as you do that, you're gonna give him glory. That, that's the promise here. That's what people say. They, they, listen, people, they want the hope that their lives can be like yours because your life is like his. In verse 11, it says that these signs that glorify God and cause others to believe. Listen, keep letting your light shine. Keep inviting change. And you can always be sure that he will be there. His, his presence is what you need. That's the assurance that we have. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He's there. Would you bow your heads with me? And as you do, I'm, I'm gonna invite our worship team to come forward and our, our prayer teams, if they would take their place in the sanctuary as well. As they do that, just let me pray over what we've just heard. Father, today we come into this place and we've heard your word. It's not enough just to be a hearer of the word. We need to be doers of the word as well. And so right now, Lord Jesus, we take action. In just a moment, we come to your table to remember you. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for everything that you've done. We remember you here today in this place. Lord, let us be people who invite change in our lives, that we would be open, we would be vessels that would be filled. Miracle after miracle would take place it's the miracle of change. Lord, we just pray your blessing would rest upon us. In Jesus' name we pray. And we say amen. Amen. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff, along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope.